This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, one of the nation's largest networks of seaport, aviation, ground, and rail transportation services. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the port's capabilities and plans for the future. But now, on to the podcast. A bridge too low becomes a major project to bring more mega container ships into the port of New York and New Jersey. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Bayonne Bridge was built in 1931 to connect New Jersey with Staten Island. At the time of construction, it was the largest arched bridge in the world. But in the age of the big new container ships, it wasn't high enough for them to pass under and access some of the port's major container terminals. So the port undertook a $1.6 billion project to elevate the roadway. Today we're going to learn about what it took to make that initiative happen after a four-year permitting process and another four years of construction. Believe it or not, that was much faster than most projects of similar scale. My guests are Beth Rooney, Assistant Director of Port Development at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and Peter Keyes, Vice President of New York Operations with Moran Towing Corporation. They'll explain why it's essential to make room for the big ships and how the port was able to raise the bridge's clearance without ever permanently closing it to vehicular traffic. So here is my conversation with Beth Rooney and Peter Keyes. Beth Rooney, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. And Peter Keyes, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Beth, let me start with you. Tell us, please, about the Bayonne Bridge. What is it? How old is it? Where is it? Just a little uh, capsule history of the bridge. Sure. The Bayonne Bridge is a steel arch bridge that connects Bayonne, New Jersey, to the north, with Staten Island, New York, to the south. She was built in 1931 and at the time was the longest arch bridge in the world. Uh, she lost that status in 1977, um, but is part of the National Civil Engineering Landmark and was designated as such in 1985. Why was there a need to do some work on the bridge now? So the Port of New York and New Jersey is the largest port on the East Coast, and the Bayonne Bridge which goes over the Kilvan Cull, which is the major channel between New York Harbor and the port's largest container terminals, was an impediment to the world's largest vessels reaching the facilities predominantly in New Jersey and in Staten Island, New York. There was an air draft limitation. The roadway of the Bayonne Bridge was at 164 feet, 
and needed to be elevated to 215 feet in order to accommodate those new larger vessels. What would be involved in raising that? Do you have to create an entire new deck or take out a deck, or what exactly was involved in the project? Since the bridge is included in the National Civil Engineering Landmark, it was important for the Port Authority to maintain that particular engineering characteristic. It was also important for the Port Authority to build the new bridge within the existing footprint of the old bridge. So it made the preferable option for how we could accommodate this to remove the old roadbed and to elevate the roadbed to that new 215-foot height. When was this project started? When did you start to get on the uh, drawing boards? So the permitting process took about four years, and that is uh, almost half as long as it typically takes for the permitting and regulatory process. And the speed of the project was pushed along when President Obama signed an executive order fast-tracking the regulatory process because this bridge is critical to the U.S. economy and the local and regional economy as well. We went through the regulatory process, which involved almost $2 million worth of studies and reports, and then began the construction of that project just about four years ago now. So you had the advantage of a regulatory speed-up, which certainly made it possible to get this done in a, in a reasonable time. But all the various hoops you had to jump through were pretty much standard? That was pretty much what you expected to see happen? Yes. All of the reports that we needed to do that involved looking at things such as the impact that the bridge would have on any of the Native American community had, that had passed through the area 100 years ago, historic preservation sites, any fowl or fauna, any impact that we might have on the environment and the wildlife and the water quality and runoff and things like that were all part of the studies and assessments and regulatory permitting process that we needed to go through. But again, the ability to fast-track that work was tremendously valuable to the Port Authority in, in getting this critical construction project underway as quickly as possible. How much did the project cost, and how did you fund it? The current estimate for the total project is $1.6 billion dollars. Uh, and that is funded through the Port Authority. There was no federal funding that was used for this project. Which also made it easier, I'm sure, to get it done. Did you stick to the budget? Was that the anticipated budget, or were there challenges and a need to increase it along the way for any reason? There were some increases to the budget over time, but within the allocations that we had expected. The span of the time from beginning of construction to, you say, has been about four years? Yes, it has. And is it now complete? So navigational clearance has been completed and was certified by the United States Coast Guard on June 8th of this year. But construction and work on the bridge still continues. That work will now involve completion of the second roadway, which would be the southbound roadway and the entrance and exit ramps. So the overall project is not yet completed. We expect that to be completed in 2019, but the navigational clearance portion of the project, which is critical to the Port of New York and New Jersey, was finished earlier this month. So the bigger ships can now pass under the bridge that could not before. 
That is correct. So it's not just about fitting under the bridge, but being able to make the turns and navigate through the channels, and Peter can speak to that much better. But at this point, we're looking at the capability of being able to receive vessels up to and including 18,000 TEUs, 20-foot equivalent units, which is more than twice as large of the largest vessel that we had handled west of the bridge up until the completion time. You say west of the bridge. Were there other parts of the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey that were accessible by those bigger ships already before the bridge was reconstructed? Yes. So we have one large container terminal in Bayonne, New Jersey, which is located in New York Harbor, which is is not affected by the air draft of the Bayonne Bridge. And Global Container Terminal Bayonne has been able to receive these ultra-large container vessels up until now, and they have handled vessels up to and including 10,800 TEUs. There's a big difference between that and 18,000, though. There is, but it was also important for the ocean carriers. They are reluctant to deploy larger vessels, those 12, 14, 16, 18,000 TEUs, until they could deploy those in other ports on the East Coast and until they had the capability and the capacity to not just call at one particular terminal but move to others if necessary. And that's all been part of the shakeup of the alliances and how the ocean carriers have changed and modified their business partners that they work with in recent months. So the new alliances became effective in April. Has water depth been an issue, or is the harbor water deep enough or, or has been deep enough to accommodate these ships without further dredging? So water depth is very important for these larger vessels, and the Port Authority, in cooperation with the Army Corps of Engineers and the United States Coast Guard and many other partners, started almost 20 years ago on a harbor deepening project that would bring the major navigation channels to 50 foot. That was completed in September 2016. So combined with the harbor deepening to 50 foot and the completion of the air draft of the Bayonne Bridge at 215 feet, we can handle the super ultra-large container vessels. Those that, again, are generally over 10,000 TEUs, we can accommodate those vessels in New York and New Jersey now. Sounds like that particular project did not have the advantage of a regulatory speed-up. You say 20 years ago, completed in 2016, which meant it was a 19-year process to get to 50 feet. Is that right? It was a 19, 20-year process, but it was also incremental. So we did not go from 35 foot to 50 foot directly. We went generally in five foot increments. That was by design. It was also the availability of funding, the availability of dredging contractors, the availability of disposal sites, the availability to reclaim the dredge material and use it beneficially elsewhere in the region. So it was a long convoluted process, but one that we were prepared for. Peter, What have you had to do over at Moran and in the tug industry in order to accommodate these big new ships coming into the harbor? We have had to build larger, more specialized tugs. We added in the past year four new 6,000 horsepower tractor tugs that are a specialized tug that are capable of handling the ship in both an indirect, direct, and an arrest mode, which is something that we haven't had to do before. How many of those new tugs does it take to handle one of these big new ships? 
These newer ships will require four tugs. They won't all need to be the specialized tractor tug, but at least two most likely will be tractor tugs. So that's certainly a big investment for you. What do each of those brand new tugs cost to build? Between 10 and $11 million. And uh, over how long a period of time have you done that? Is that all finished? Have you been working on that the last few years, or is the project still underway? No, we as a company have added 32 tractor tugs over the last 15 years. For New York, these four that we received over the last year were started approximately three years ago. So I imagine they're pretty high-tech compared with the tugs of yesterday, right? They are. They're a completely different philosophy. I understand, maybe, Beth, you could answer this, that you folks carried out a vessel simulation study, did you not, in order to figure out just how you were going to accommodate these ships and how they were going to operate within the harbor? We did. There is a stakeholder group within the Port of New York and New Jersey called the Harbor Operations Safety and Navigation Committee, and all of the tugboat companies, the pilots, the Coast Guard, the Port Authority, and many other stakeholders are involved in this group. And one of the subcommittees of that committee suggested about a year and a half to two years ago that it would be helpful before these large vessels started to arrive in the Port of New York, New Jersey, that we conduct a simulation. And also use the simulation not only to verify the maximum capabilities, but to understand the best handling characteristics for these larger vessels and to train the pilots in the simulation environment on how to handle these because it, it is a very different handling characteristics for these larger vessels. So in partnership between the Port Authority and the New York Shipping Association, we contracted with a simulation center that is well known in the industry in the Maryland area to conduct the simulation and then subsequently to train all of our pilots, both the harbor masters and the bar pilots. What would you say are the biggest challenges that the Port Authority has faced in getting it ready for these big ships as related to the Bayonne Bridge project and just getting the ships in and out of the various terminals? For the bridge itself, the challenge of doing the bridge construction was, number one, the proximity to the local community and how to plan the construction around their homes. And while we were building that within the existing footprint of the old bridge, we also did so without ever permanently closing the bridge to vehicular traffic. So that was very challenging for us. We also were building the bridge over a working navigation channel. So at times, particularly as we got close to demolishing the old roadbed in order to make room for that navigational clearance, there was a number of pieces of construction equipment, floating cranes and floating barges that were in the channel that obstructed, in some cases, the safe navigation of vessel traffic that was trying to enter and depart the port. So there was a tremendous amount of coordination that companies like Moran with the Coast Guard and the vessel operators were coordinating with the bridge construction team in order to avoid, God forbid, any accidents, but in order to keep the economy and commerce moving. You know, you say 18,000 TEU is the top vessel that you could accommodate uh, under the bridge now. Of course, as you know, some carriers are building even larger vessels of uh, 20,000 TEUs and up. 
Do you think that will be an issue in future? Do you think that you'll have to continue to accommodate even larger ships than that in the future? Or do you think that this is pretty much the right size for you going forward for the foreseeable future? I think when we look at the market in the Port of New York and New Jersey, you look at the capacity and what capacity comes on that 18,000 TEU vessel. You look at the fact that not only going beyond 18,000 would you have a restriction at the Bayonne Bridge, but you would have that same air draft limitation at the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, where all vessels would have to pass under that as well. So if we were to go beyond the 18,000 TEU vessel, we would need to address not just the air draft at the Bayonne Bridge, but the air draft at the Verrazano Narrows. So we believe, in fact, when the ocean carriers spoke to us originally, they believed at the time that they were going to top out in the New York, New Jersey market at 14. So we have the capacity to go larger than what they originally anticipated doing. It also sounds like some of those carriers might be rethinking their mania for building ever larger ships because they can't seem to fill the biggest ones. So maybe you're safe on that regard as well. I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, what has been the impact, uh, Beth, of the Panama Canal, the, the new locks being built, which allow larger ships to go through all the way to the East Coast from Asia? Is that helped your market as well, or has that had any impact on your project and your capabilities? There's been no impact on the project, but we have seen a number of vessels come through the new locks of the Panama Canal, which has provided some of the efficiencies in schedule, some of the cost savings that come along with that. But again, we have not seen yet the largest deployment of vessels that could go through the Panama Canal and call the Port of New York and New Jersey because they were limited in air draft. So now that the air draft restriction has been removed and the Panama Canal is available, we and the Panama Canal Authority fully expect that we will see more vessels taking advantage of the extended capability of the canal and the extended capability in New York, New Jersey. And Peter, what does the future look like to you in the harbor from the standpoint of a tug operator in terms of tug technology, the number of units you need, the number of people you need to staff? Going forward, what do you think that looks like? I think that you'll see over time more and more of the tractor tugs and the conventional tugs that we've used historically for years and years will all disappear. They'll sort of become museum pieces, huh? That's correct. This class of ship, the uh, super ultra-large container vessel is really the first time we've seen where you really do need specialized tugs. Beth, tell me about the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey and where you think it fits into the marketplace today. When you can look back at the Port Authority's history... We were created to promote trade and transportation of international and interstate goods and people within the region. And because of that very mission, we provide tremendous value to the region. The Port of New York and New Jersey is the largest port on the East Coast. We're the third largest port in the United States. And in doing that, we provide the jobs to over 336,000 people. We provide business and personal income 
of over $70 billion, tax revenues in the tens of billions of dollars. So the Port of New York and New Jersey, in many cases, is the lifeblood of the regional economy. It's a highly competitive business, even in the Northeast and along the East Coast. What do you consider to be the primary advantages of the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, over other ports within your general region? I'd say the biggest benefit to the Port of New York and New Jersey is the market that we can reach within a short period of time. So within 36 hours of arriving in the Port of New York and New Jersey, we can reach over 127 million people in the United States and Canada. That allows cargo to reach their final destination, particularly in the Midwest, before these larger ships might even arrive at other U.S. East Coast ports. So our ability to service the Midwest region and what we would consider the discretionary cargo changes dramatically now that we have the ability to handle these larger vessels with the completion of the Bayonne Bridge. And have you seen more business from other areas of the world that did not necessarily figure in so much into your business profile? For instance, Asia coming through the Panama Canal or even through the Suez Canal. What what has been the trend in terms of new sources of business in the last few years for you? That's an interesting question, Bob. We have services that are coming from all corners of the world. But what we have noticed recently is a shift in manufacturing in Southeast Asia. So more focus on the Indian subcontinent, on Indonesia, on Vietnam. And as manufacturing shifts, those cargoes and those vessels are heading to New York, New Jersey, more through the Suez than they are through the Panama Canal. So that has had some effect on market in New York in a positive way. So what's the next big project on your plate? You can never rest once you get one thing done. You're already probably starting something else. What are the priorities going forward for further improving and increasing the services of the Port Authority? The big project that we have underway now is our fourth on-dock rail facility. That on-dock rail facility will service the global container terminal in Bayonne. When that project is completed, we would expect to have the capacity to handle 1.5 million lifts per year. Right now, because of the local market that we serve, about 85% of the cargo that we handle in New York and New Jersey moves out by truck. We anticipate, again, with larger vessels, the ability to handle more cargo in the discretionary area of the country, and our rail capabilities, that we will increase our modal split and have more cargo moving by rail over time. So when that fourth on-dock rail facility comes online and we have the capacity to do 1.5 million lifts, we have two-thirds of that capacity today is not being used. Now, some might think that wasn't a good idea, but it was purposefully designed that way so that when the deepening was completed, when the Panama Canal was completed, when the Bayonne Bridge was completed, and the market forces changed and we could compete better for that Midwest area, we had the rail capacity available for us to do that. Beth Rooney, I want to thank you so much for joining us to tell us about the Bayonne Bridge Project and other initiatives that the Port Authority is undertaking in order to accommodate the big new container ships and what what it looks like up ahead and a little bit about the Port Authority itself. Thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you, Bob. 
And Peter Keyes, thank you so much for being here and giving us a little bit of the uh, tug operator's perspective on these big issues as well. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. That was my conversation with Beth Rooney of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey and Peter Keyes of Moran Towing, talking about the job of raising the Bayonne Bridge. Our thanks to the Port Authority for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.